This is a Podcast 225 production. Welcome to the Clay Young Show. Back at it again for episode 131 of the Clay Young Show here on Podcast 225.com, iTunes, and the Talk 107.3 mobile app. Busy, busy few weeks. Last week, I got a chance to sit in for my buddy Moon Griffon on his radio show, his, his statewide radio show, The Moon Griffon Show. I enjoyed that. Brandon Como, his executive producer, is so easy to work with. He made it fun. So thanks to all the people who, who work with Moon's show who made that so wonderful. The ladies from The Waiting Room. Dr. Mary Catherine Rodriguez and Katie Fetzer were guests with me on the show. They did a phenomenal job. And we talked a little bit about mental health. And obviously, you can get all you want about mental health by listening to their show, The Waiting Room, here on podcast225.com. In fact, episode 18 just went up. So you might want to check that out. Let's see. Also, August 27th, Sunday, August 27th. The Capital Area Law Enforcement Foundation is hosting an event in Perkins Row called A Blue Night Out. It's a gathering of law enforcement agencies from across about a dozen parishes. And we are looking forward to that. It's free. It's open to the public. And you'll get some information about that in a commercial that will happen here on the show. Don't forget also, guys. You can follow me on Twitter at ClayYoungBR. You can follow me on Facebook backslash Clay. Young, and you can email me, clay at podcast225.com. I appreciate all of the love that you guys uh, send and give and the feedback we get. We love it. If you listen to the show through iTunes and download it there, hey, when you hit that subscribe button, leave us a review there. It helps us in the pecking order of things as it relates to podcasts. Just, you know, say what you really think about us, that we're the most awesome podcast in the Gulf South and possibly even the world. I mean, I'm not that I'm trying to put words in your mouth, you know. Our guest on this week's show is a very phenomenal guy. Just met him. We had two meetings, one over the phone. The other one was during the conversation that you are about to hear on the show. We recorded the interview before I had the opportunity to do this open, and I think you're going to enjoy it. He is a psychiatrist right here in Baton Rouge with an amazing story and an almost equally amazing piece of equipment in his office. His name is Dr. Larry Warner, and he is a New Orleans native, and I will let you hear his story as he tells it, and we get into a discussion about mental health. I am really looking forward to getting feedback from you on that. And don't forget, next week, our guest on this here show will be Detective Tom Lang, formerly of the Los Angeles Police Department. In fact, he was one of the lead detectives in the O.J. Simpson murder trial. I got his book last week, and let me tell you, perspective-wise, there are so many things I never considered that his book talks about. The book is titled Evidence Dismissed. It is a phenomenal read. And we're going to talk about his book. We're going to talk about the Simpson trial. We're going to talk about law enforcement and how the media covers it. We'll talk about the climate in Los Angeles that, in many people's opinion, led to the verdict in the O.J. Simpson murder trial. In fact, I heard someone say, if the officers who had beaten Rodney King had gone to jail, O.J. too would be in jail right now. And we all know how that played out. So I'm looking forward to speaking with Detective Lang Next week on episode 132 of The Clay Young Show, we will take a quick break and then come back with Dr. Larry Warner here on The Clay Young Show. Stay right there. This is Jeff LaDuff, retired chief of police for the city of Baton Rouge. I'm Kelly LaDuff, co-owner of Open Eyes Safety Training and Consulting. Open Eyes is focused on providing quality safety solutions that give businesses and employees the skill set needed to recognize and react to dangerous situations. On a daily basis, we hear yet another story of workplace violence or active shooter. Open Eyes offers a unique approach to keeping you and your businesses safe through site analysis, technology recommendations, policy review, and employee training. To set up a consultation for your business, call us today at 225-313-9713 or visit us at our website at openeyesafetytraining.com. 
We say keep open eyes because 10% of our population cause 90% of our problems. See them before they see you. The Capital Area Law Enforcement Foundation is hosting a fundraiser on Sunday, August 27th in Perkins Row called A Blue Night Out. The event starts at 6 p.m. and is open to the public. It will feature live music and will honor the law enforcement agencies of the Capital Region. Calif is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that has purchased protective gear for several law enforcement agencies in South Louisiana. Save the date and make sure you attend A Blue Night Out on Sunday, August 27th at 6 p.m in Perkins Row. Welcome back to the Clay Young Show. Back with Dr. Larry Warner. I'm, I've been looking forward to this conversation uh, because, Doc, I was first told about you by a young fella that's a mutual friend of ours, Kelly yes. LaDuff, yes, Jeff sir. LaDuff's son. And he was just raving about you and what you were doing in your practice. And we'll get into that in just a moment. Um, <clears throat> first up, let's talk a little bit about you and work our way to really what I think is the most important thing, mental health. We were talking about the over- <laughs> medicated society that we have and the impact we're, we're seeing now. Uh, where are you from originally? I'm from New Orleans, Louisiana. New Orleans, man. Yeah. Boy, there's a hell of a lot going on down there right now. Uptown boy. <laughs> <laughs> and then what What was your path from New Orleans to medicine? Uh, it was very interesting um, to give you a little bit of background on me. Um, Pull that mic a little bit closer to you there. I'm sorry, Clay. Yeah, there you go. Played sports my entire life. Played football, basketball, baseball. Um, even played at St. Augustine High School for a little bit, the mm-hmm. home of Leonard Fournette. That's right. Um, unfortunately, though, my senior year in high school, um, I was actually shot um, several times, actually four times, three times in my back and one time in my leg, yeah. um, which was a life-changing experience, of course. And that kind of changed my whole dynamic about life because at that point in time, you know, my, my gears kind of shifted towards academia. Mm-hmm. And um, also I have an uncle who's a psychiatrist in um, Atlanta, Georgia, and I had a chance to work with him for a short period of time. I really fell in love with the field of mental health because I'll be honest with you, before I got a chance to work with him, my attitude about mental health was relatively negative. You know, when you think about psychiatrists and mental health, you think about someone being quote unquote crazy. Mm -hmm. But for the first time in my life, I got a chance to see people that looked like me, spoke like me, and actually were dealing with day-to-day problems like everyone else just needed some assistance in a certain way. Right. So that is actually... Man, that's a multi-layered statement you just made. The old way mental health was looked at right. was something that people didn't talk a whole lot about. If you had someone with mental illness and a family, people didn't talk about it. Mm-hmm. It was shameful. There was, it was shameful. There was a bad stigma around it. Mm-hmm. And we have since learned how damaging mm-hmm. that was. Right because of the opportunities that people missed to get help. Exactly. Why'd you choose mental health? I'll tell you. I mean, there's so many different areas, so many things you could have done right. uh, in medicine. And mm-hmm. even, even and, let's, and let's go deeper. Why did you choose mental health and then your division of mental, mental health? health? Got you covered. Um, once again, you say that was a multi-layer answer I gave you before. This one is also going to be one. <laughs> okay. Um, like I told you before, my uncle, who actually is a psychiatrist in um, Atlanta, Georgia, got a chance to work with him. So that was kind of the first thing, kind of opened things up. Um, the second thing that brought it to it was doing residency. Um, I had a pleasure of doing my residency program in New York. And at the time, you know, in residency, you're made, not residency, I'm sorry, um, my medical training, you're made to do different clerkships and different practices. Yeah. Like you have to do your OB-GYN um, yeah. rotation surgery. And when I did my surgery rota- rotation, that was the one I felt most at home with. Because mm-hmm. of course, if you become a physician and God bless you in that way, you have to do a field of medicine where you say, hey, I could do this for the next 30 to 40 years or until I die. Mm-hmm. And when I looked at all the practices and so forth, you know, psych was just the thing that felt like my calling. Not only did I feel like I was very good at it, but I felt it was something I can give people the biggest need. And you asked me, why did I go into mental health? That was really one of the biggest needs. Because yeah. if you look at it now, just look at medicine across the board. Most of your psychiatrists are older guys and yeah. older ladies yeah. that are retiring. Yeah. So if you think about it, there's not many mental health workers out here. As sure. a matter of fact, there's a lot of psychiatric nurse practitioners that are doing a lot of work of psychiatrists because there's such a limited um amount of psychiatrists in the area. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about it, you look at the just in passion way I felt about the field itself when I got a chance to work with patients in an inpatient and outpatient setting, but also when you look at need, because that's something that's going to drive it from a 
health standpoint and even a business standpoint, like yeah. where's their biggest need at? Yeah. And that kind of drove me to mental health. And then why I chose adult mental health, which is basically what I focus on. Yeah. I'll be honest with you. When I look at young kids, I'm very upset by the fact that a lot of young kids are medicated. And I think a lot of time when children are medicated, it's the result of parenting issues, sometimes yeah. social dynamics. Yeah. And therefore, I just felt uncomfortable dealing with kids, not because I, I truly adore them, but I just didn't feel comfortable medicating them. I, I want to take my time and come back to that because I mm-hmm. want to spend a little time on that. The mm-hmm. nexus, the connection between what happened to you in your senior year and mm-hmm. where you are now. And right. you talked a little bit about shifting your focus. Mm-hmm. Dig into that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Shifting your focus. What what brought that on? Was it just looking at that moment and thinking, this is not where I want to be. This is right. not where I want to go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then leading you. Because I do think that I, I spend a lot of time working with young men and mm-hmm. I tell them, it always, man, it always matters more where you finish, not where right. you start. Where you start, exactly. Yeah. And I'll say if you look at that once again, um, if you go back to that time, it was a shift in gears. I was blessed to have a great mother and father who yeah. are still alive. And I thank God for that every day. Yeah. And I had a great upbringing. And my story was a little bit different because in the area I grew up in, a lot of guys who were involved in shootings and accidents of that nature mm-hmm. were sometimes doing things they weren't. I was pretty much the exact opposite. Yeah. I never sold drugs. Thank mm-hmm. God for that. Never had a need to. Yeah. Um, never been involved in any type of criminal activity. Yeah. Um, not going to tell you I was a, <laughs> didn't do bad things sometimes like any kid like any kid uh, exactly but never was a life of crime yeah. but the thing that changed my life with that moment was you know as a young man you sometimes look at yourself as invincible and, and, and life <laughs> you think yeah and life is is just infinite but at that time my life changed because i knew very clearly that life could be taken away from you and yeah. it gives you a sense of purpose yeah um, and then when you think about it, too, when I say switching gears, you know, I was a decent athlete, nothing to shake a stick at. But, you know, of course, like any kid, you know, kind of thinking, oh, man, I'm going to make it to the NFL one yeah. day, do something. I'm actually even practicing my autograph when yeah. I make it there. But yeah. after that happened, you had the realization that, hey, nothing like that is going to happen because right. the bullets that entered my body were on my spinal cord. Wow. And the only thing that kept them from severing my spinal cord is because my best friend, who unfortunately was in this incident with me, um, his car had numerous speakers and stuff in the back because mm-hmm. he had what we call sound back in the yeah, yeah. Um, and it's, it's, it slowed the velocity of the bullets. And the, the doctor even told me, he said, you know, if it wasn't for that, it put, it could have paralyzed you because the bullets wow. actually still sit on my spinal cord. Sometimes. Even um, now. Even now. Yeah, they couldn't take them out because of where they were. It was a forty four caliber bullet. Um, so when it hit my it, when it hit my back, it actually over time degraded. So if you take an x-ray of my back now, mm-hmm. it looks like strapped all through the back. Wow. So like I said, to bring it back to the point, it just made me realize that, you know, my purpose was bigger than, you know, playing sports or yeah. just, you know, doing foolishness. Yeah. That I had a bigger purpose. And I really still believe in my in my day now that God left me here for a reason. No um, sometimes I question what that reason still is. And right. I always try to be the best man, best father, best yeah. doctor I could be. Yeah. But I knew my purpose in life was for something because if not, I could have easily been taken away because I even share something kind of creepy about that story, Clay. My father, um, my idol is truly, you know, great man, Larry Warner Sr. My dad drives 18-wheelers. My dad has his own trucking company. Yeah. My dad would literally get home at night at 9 p.m., take a bath, eat. My mom would prepare his food and everything. And my father would get up about 3 o'clock in the morning to go to work. Just so happened that night, Clay, true story. Me and my buddy were leaving the French Quarter. We were coming from the House of Blues or another place. It's Uh like 3 o'clock in the morning. I'm half asleep on the passenger side. And at the time, my buddy did have a cell phone because his mom was a school teacher. And he was like, man, these guys are following us. And I'm thinking he's being paranoid. Like, man, these people are not following us. Just keep driving. So I said, okay, make this turn, make this turn. And he said, okay, he did it. He said, God, they're still behind us, dude. So I said, okay, call my mom and dad and see if my dad is home. Uh Mm-hmm. Just so happened my dad was about to walk out the door, and the only reason why he was late that night, his alarm did not go off. Wow. And there's no reason his alarm still to this day goes off. Right. That night, his alarm did not go off. And my mom, I can remember hearing her saying, Big Larry, because everybody still, Mm -hmm. even though I'm bigger than my dad, everybody calls me Lil Larry and him Big Larry. So he said, I hear him say, yeah. She said, well, meet Larry on the the street corner because in your truck, because he said someone's following them. And my dad tells me when he's rolling up and he sees us and my buddy's like, oh man, there go your pop. My dad said he saw the guy pull the gun out the window and start letting off rounds. And my dad said, like, just fire coming out of the car. And at the time, my buddy lost control of the car. We rolled up in someone's yard. But my father, who also carries a gun, has a permit to do so because he drives trucks in sure. weird hours of night. He actually shot back Return at these fire. guys. Yeah. And when they did that, my dad said they spent off because they were about to finish shooting into yeah. the car. Yeah. 
And I tell you, my dad, I've only seen that man cry three times in his life. Um, one when his mother died, the mm -hmm. other we would not mention, and the, and the third was when I got shot because yeah. my dad really thought my son is dying in yeah. this car. Yeah. Um, and I heard my mom scream, and I heard my mom scream, they killed my baby. Yeah. Um, and then I blacked out, yeah. then I woke up in the hospital sutures and where, where I had the surgery, where sure. they had to do my abdominal surgery to try to get the bullet fragments out. Yeah. So, you know, that was a life-altering experience. He it saved your life. chills up my spine. Yeah, he did, because yeah. those guys would have no reason to stop yeah. shooting me yeah. if my dad was not there. No, to this day, if my dad would have made his normal time out of the house, we would have been dead, because he tells me, he said, Larry, when they were, they were about to turn and finish because my friend had lost control of the car. It was literally yeah. in someone's driveway. Yeah. Um, so it's, it, it's very and creepy. For what? But I knew. You know what? Still to this day, Clay, it, I tell you the God's honest truth. No one knows why. Because I'm not going to sit here and tell you um, I knew everything my best friend was doing. He truly was my best friend at uh -huh, the time. Uh -huh. um, but I know for myself, nothing. The worst thing I ever did was... <laughs> chasing girls. Uh, <laughs> so if I was guilty of that crime, yes, you could sentence me away for right, a long time for right, that one. Right, You, me, and a hell of a lot of <laughs> other young men, yeah. Right, so still to this day, and it's kind of sad when I think about it, because, you know, um, I don't know who even the guys were, so yeah. I can't tell you they were African-American or whatever, yeah. but you just think about someone's life being snuffed out yeah. for no reason, and then once again, you know, my mom even tells me stories about how in the hospital, the police question of what kind of activities are your son involved in almost yeah. portraying me as like a criminal right. with no criminal past yeah um so that was an incident in my life where i really knew my life had a purpose and once again i would go through my later teen years and then uh, my 20s and still not quite know what that purpose was mm -hmm. but i knew i was here for a reason where'd you go to college um the LSU University. <laughs> like they say, the Ohio State, yeah. the LSU, Louisiana and, State and University. And undergrad and medical degree from there? Actually, no. I actually did my um, undergrad at LSU. I did my residency training at LSU Auctioner System, but I actually went to Ross University, which is a school and um, actually is located in New Brunswick, New Jersey. That's okay. why I did my residency and my medical training. I'm sorry, my medical training. And so you get your MD, mm -hmm. you come out, mm -hmm. and you decide you you're here in Baton Rouge practicing now. Yes. How'd you go from not being back in New Orleans mm -hmm. to coming to Baton Rouge? Oh, that was an easy process. Um, I love my city. Don't yeah. get me wrong. I love New Orleans. Yeah. Nothing like it. But I knew that with my family because at the time I had a I had two young daughters. I mm -hmm. had my my oldest baby girl. I think at the time was ten, and my youngest one was two. You know, me and my wife decided, hey, New Orleans is not the place we want to be. Yeah. And it seemed to be a blessing because at the time when I arrived in this area, it wasn't directly to Baton Rouge. It was to St. Elizabeth Hospital, mm -hmm. which is in Gonzales. Mm -hmm. And I had never heard of St. Elizabeth Hospital, but when I went to the facility, I fell in love with the people and the yeah. spot. And I was like, man, this is a really good place to lay down your roots. So when I wound up working at St. Elizabeth, I was there for about two and a half, three years, yeah. and I've always wanted to have my own practice. Mm -hmm. My dad always tells me, say, boy, Warners don't work for people. People, and that's the true story. <laughs> so about three years out, I decided to take a, a leap of faith. And my business partner at the time, uh, Mr. Lawrence Salone, great guy, um, wanted to give him a plug out on that one. But um, he kind of helped me start the business because he knew more about the business aspect than I, to be honest with right, you. I right. knew more about the medical. And um, he kind of helped me get my feet wet in the practice. And then once things got going, it just kind of went from there. And I started out in Jefferson, um, off of Jefferson on Renwood. Mm -hmm. And now I have my practice here in Kentshire. Yeah. And soon open up a second location in Hammond, Louisiana. Like a football's throw from where we're sitting right now, and, actually. Literally, <laughs> like we spoke when, when Kelly was telling me about it, I said, right. man, that's like right there. So That's, that's my bank right there. That's, that's right. <laughs> so uh, you're through college mm -hmm. and you are, you are beginning this journey yes, as sir. a doctor. Uh -huh. And you feel what now? Scared. Yeah. And I tell you, people don't understand what that means. But you ever know when you go through different stages in life, you want something, but then yeah. when you get it, it's like, oh my God, yes. you know, am I ready for I, this? I, I do. Even being a dad, yeah. oh my God, am I ready for this? Yeah. Being a husband, oh my God, am I ready for this? Because I definitely upgraded with my yeah. wife. Yeah. Um, she, yeah. she downgraded a little bit, I upgraded. <laughs> um, but when you think about it, I mean, it really was fair. Because you know, in medical school, you have no responsibilities. I mean, study, pass, right. get done. That's okay, it. great. In residency, yeah, you're a doc, but you're that student doctor, yeah. basically. Right. So really, nothing falls on you. It's like there's no 
there's no risk associated. Mm -hmm. But when you become that attending after you finish residency, mm -hmm. they're looking at you like, Doc, there is no who do you call. It's all on you. Right. And it's not only the fear of just that responsibility, but it's wanting to do right by your patient. Because right. at the end of the day, I know when a person comes in my office, they're coming there because they're in need. They're not coming there because they want to see me or hear my voice. They're coming there because they're like, hey, I'm in a desperate situation. Yeah. And if I make a mistake with the treatment, with mm -hmm. the medication, anything, that cost them. Now it costs me indirectly because it bothers me because I want to be the best I can for the patient. Right. But this is a person who's suffering and I tell anybody if you had gave me the choice of mental illness versus physical illness mm -hmm. and I lied not to you I would choose I would choose physical illness. Mental illness is it's a monster. You cannot Absolutely. escape it. And physical illness you can heal some a, a broken bone, yes. a torn muscle. Yes, you can give rehab to something. Of course, M mentally the scars. Sometimes you you don't even know. Exactly, if somebody breaks an arm, you could look at them and tell if something's wrong. You could see the the, the shift in their gait, the way they walk. Mental illness. There are functional, yes, mentally ill people in our mm -hmm. society all all around. All around, and you said it best. If I break my arm. I could do an x-ray and you can see my arm is broken That's and right. we know the healing process. Yeah. If you come in depressed, I can't tell you, okay, the healing process is going to be this. Mm -hmm. We don't know. Yeah. I don't know if your healing process is going to require medication, require medication and therapy. Yeah require family support we don't know and right. once again that's where it becomes so difficult so I tell anyone because you know a lot of times people think oh man you know that's just in your head and unfortunately I see a lot of people say well you know my family just thinks I'm making this up or it's in my head yeah. and just think about it because if you break an arm everybody's supportive oh that's you know that's right. oh, the arm is broken what that's can right. we give you that's when right. you're suffering with depression it's almost they're like yeah. oh just suck it up because even yeah. my father told me one time before and another buddy he was like man black men we don't go see a psychiatrist we no. just deal with it yeah and that's a sad situation where you sit there and suffer it is and the toll it takes on your body and yeah. i believe in my heart it takes years away from your life mm -hmm. so so now let's get into first explain the division of mental health that mm -hmm. your practice mm -hmm. specializes in of course of course when mental health, a lot of times there's a lot of misconceptions about what's going on, and there's different levels of it. You, of course, have a psychiatrist like myself. I'm mm -hmm. a medical doctor. Mm -hmm. My training is understanding chemical imbalances of the brain and what medicines are treated with. Mm -hmm. For instance, someone comes in with depression. I'm going to place them on an antidepressant agent. Someone comes in with bipolar. I'm going to place them on a mood stabilizer, schizophrenia, antipsychotic. Um, then you have another level of mental health. You have a psychologist, which I know the names sound very similar, but mm -hmm. very different. Mm -hmm. Psychologists are basically the highest level of talk therapy for a patient. Right. These are doctors as well, but they're PhDs. Mm -hmm. Now, in some states, including Louisiana and California, if I'm not mistaken, you have medical psychologists. These are psychologists that have the right to prescribe medication mm -hmm. just in those two states. But usually your psychologists are talk therapist. Mm -hmm. Then you have a little bit level under that, which is your LCSW, which is a licensed clinical social worker. Right. That's also a therapist. Mm -hmm. Then you have your LPCs, licensed um, practical counselor, and mm -hmm. then you have MSWs and so forth. Mm -hmm. So when you think about it, it's, it's, it's kind of like a um, multifaceted dynamic. You mm -hmm. have the psychiatrist, which is the guy with the medicine, and you have the therapist, the psychologist, and so forth, who are providing you therapy, because sometimes your mental health issues just are not a chemical imbalance. There are some people who deal with depression that is depression as a result of life situations. And I right. always tell patients, I say, if it's life situations, I'm not going to be able to give you a pill that's going to make that life situation go away. That's right. Now, the medicine may actually help assist in some regards, but we're going to require therapy. Mm -hmm. That's when I incorporate therapy in the sessions, which I don't do. Mm -hmm. Someone else does. But at the end of the day, if someone comes in with a true chemical imbalance, Clay, that person suffers from a lack of dopamine in the brain, lack of serotonin, lack of um, norepinephrine. These are people that actually need to be placed on medication mm -hmm. um, or the transcranial magnetic stimulation device, which we're going to talk about later. Yep. Uh, so we we kind of led with a statement earlier that some people will, will consider controversial. And I said, I have believed that there has been an over-medication of society. Yes, sir. And it isn't that I believe people should not get pharmaceutical assistance of course. when there is an issue. Okay? Yes. I'm not saying that. Mm -hmm. However... The dependency on it and the outcome that we see yes. 20, you know, 25 years ago, mm -hmm. you and I can remember the opening stages, probably, yeah, 25 years ago, the opening stages of the pill epidemic. There oh, was yeah. a pill for 
everything. You know, everything. Uh, uh, Viagra was stumbled upon because it was a cardiac heart medicine. And then the side effect became the reason that they've made <laughs> exactly. billions doing it. But there's so many pills. And now all over television, right. you see these pills that say mm-hmm. these things that it will do. And then they run about 10 seconds of side effects. And you're going, right. wow. Well, you think the side effect is worse than the disease. That's, that's right. Mm-hmm. So now me saying that, that society is over medicated as a medical doctor of course. Who, who works in this field, mm-hmm. your response to that is what? Is I agree 110 percent. And here's and let me break it down for you. Understand something. There is a need for pharmaceuticals. Absolutely. There are people who have true chemical imbalances sure, that sure, need medicine. Sure. There are people that require medicines for different things. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, what has happened is. There's a pill for everything. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, and my colleagues have done this, and I'm telling you, their hearts were in the right places, I truly believe. Mm-hmm. But when you get to the point of medicating everything, you yeah. have to understand there's a risk associated. Let me use the example of benzodiazepines. These are medicines like Xanax, Clonopin, okay. and Ativan. Which There's, do what for people who don't know? Got you covered. For anxiety. Someone okay. says, Doc, I have anxiety. These yeah. are medicines most of your primary care doctors prescribe. Mm-hmm. But here's the drawback. Research has shown us benzodiazepines are one of two drugs that could kill you in withdrawal. The other is alcohol. So when you've withdrawn off of benzodiazepines, which are appropriate in certain contexts, mm-hmm. they can lead to death and withdrawal. Also, the physical dependency to it is significant. A lot of people think about chemical dependency as a drug addict walking the street looking for narcotics. Mm-hmm. Your body could create what's called a physiological um, dependency, meaning if I don't have this medication, my body will start going through withdrawal, sweating, feeling chills, feeling mm-hmm. as if I'm sick. And then another thing that benzodiazepines do, in the elderly population, if you use them for an extended period of time, it leads to something we call cognitive dulling, which there's been some research outside the country in places like England showing that it actually accelerates the process to something like dementia, which is a naturally occurring thing because when we turn 80 years old, typically yeah. most people, if you don't have dementia, you have symptoms of dementia mm-hmm. with poor memory, slip of tongue, mm-hmm. and so forth. Mm-hmm. But this accelerates that process. So if I'm taking benzos from the age of 30 to maybe 60, now my 60-year-old brain is the brain of a 70 or 80 year old man. So these are things that we've looked at, you know, of course in other countries and so forth. So it's pronounced. And my thing with colleagues is, I always tell my patients, at the end of the day, if your doctor makes a decision, he or she should tell you the risk versus the benefits associated with this. Yeah. And that is what I'm seeing the great void is. Yeah. A lot of doctors are telling you about the good things with these meds. Oh, when you take them in about five, 10 minutes, your anxiety is going to be gone. Tell me about the negatives. The long-term yeah, Long-term effects, just like with opioids. Yeah. There's an opioid epidemic. And it's, and so, and again, I mm-hmm. guess that's the thing that kind of pissed me off a little bit when I saw a story last week, a sad story about a little Talk boy uh-huh. who was, um, at a at a pool area mm-hmm. and I forget the state that it was in and he touched a railing that had the remnants of it on it and it seeped oh, yeah. into his skin yes. and killed him. Yep. And then people were like, oh it's epidemic and it, and and the thing that I guess the part about it that annoyed me was how did we yeah you you should have seen this train coming right because this the horn on this train has been mm-hmm. going the whole time it has been and anything that is misunderstood mm-hmm. has the potential to be abused yes exactly and that's the whole issue if you give an average human being i'm not talking about the smartest person i'm talking sure. about someone of average intelligence sure. let them understand the risk and yeah. potentials of a narcotic mm-hmm. or even a benzodiazepine mm-hmm. most of them will actually if they do take the medicine they will have it in their mind this is something i should only take for emergency mm-hmm. not something i should take just for for taking yeah. it and when you talk about that train i'm just going to divulge a little sure. bit about that that train was coming and it made loud noises mm-hmm. but let me tell you something you know what money is <laughs> it's the great blinder and great and it covers your earplugs, ear, earplugs. <laughs> so that train was right. coming but the money he was didn't like see co- it, didn't hear closing it. my eyes, didn't see it, didn't want to know it was happening. <laughs> so you have a situation that's been driven by money. And yeah. now in America, you see the crisis. Think about the the yeah. effects that it costs yeah. America. Yeah. Big Pharma and some places like that have benefited, you know. And, and once again, it's not to bash them because it's been used in the right context and the sure. wrong. But think about the cost it cost America for substance abuse. No question. You have the degrading of the family. Yeah. 
You have the cost of now putting kids in social services. Mm -hmm. You have unemployment mm -hmm. because these people are not able to maintain jobs because they're busy trying to not get high. Mm -hmm. I'm trying not to get what they call dope sick. Mm -hmm. Patients that I treat in my office, they're not trying to get high, Clay. I promise you mm -hmm. that because if they're trying to get high, they don't come nowhere near Dr. Warner's office. Right. They're just not wanting to get sick because right. like, if I get sick, I cannot deal with my wife. I yeah. cannot deal with my kids. Yeah. So there's a cost we have paid in society at this point in time. And when you look at the stuff going on in, in Washington, in D.C., which is a topic for another day, sure. it's, it just makes me cringe when you talk about these changes that are being made because the thing that gets me about our lawmakers is you're making decisions and you really are not on the front line. Don't you're not have seeing a, the effects of this. Don't stuff. have a ground floor understanding. Not at all. And you know, I've heard people make the connection between these things and say foods. And yes, you know, I said to me that's ridiculous because. I know what happens if I eat too many burgers. Right. If if I slam too many nuggets. Right. You know, uh, if 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 that you can't see the mm -hmm. impact of taking a pill until it's almost too late. No, it is too late when they realize it. That's what most people don't understand. When most people become addicted, understand what I'm telling you. Mm -hmm. Just like depression. Yeah. Every human being has a thought of what a depressed person looks like. Sure. Oh, they're crying. Yeah. They look pitiful. They're yeah. sobbing. No. I've seen depressed people that are very irritable, mm -hmm. that cannot concentrate, mm -hmm. never shed a tear. They're still depressed. They just manifest it different. Mm -hmm. Same thing for a drug addict. Most people have a thought of, oh, that guy's a drug addict. Mm -hmm. His clothes are mm -hmm. disheveled. He's sure. unkempt. No. I know functioning addicts that dress better than me. Yeah have more money than me. No question. And have a good lifestyle. No but question. But they're functioning addicts. No question. So when you have that discrepancy in society, you have this misconception that, well, I know what an addict looks yeah. like. No, you do not. No, you because don't. one yeah. could be standing right next to you. Right. And you speaking to that person, yeah. you not even know the difference. You talked about the dependency mm -hmm. when people are taking, uh, you know, these, these pills. What happens in the brain? Mm -hmm. and, and I'll give you two scenarios. Okay. One with someone who is taking this because they legitimately right. need what, what the pill does. Mm -hmm. And along the way, mm -hmm. a dependency mm -hmm. develops beyond what the point of the pill was. Right. And then those who experiment with it right. and realize, I can't stop taking it now gotcha. because of the euphoric effect of mm -hmm. whatever it is. Can mm -hmm. you talk about that? Yeah, when you talk about the euphoric effect, if you look at narcotics typically, and let's just use something like a stimulant like cocaine. Okay. The reason why cocaine is so addictive is because in your brain, remember I told you about dopamine, one yeah. of the three chemicals that controls depression? Sure. Well, what cocaine does is dopamine is like one of the euphoria chemicals in your brain. Like, you know, when your baby is born, mm -hmm. when mm -hmm. you get married, yeah. you know, your brain has just a rush of dopamine, like, yeah. oof, and I, and I like that feeling. Yeah. What drugs like cocaine and so forth do is it rushes and bombard your brain with dopamine and it's a feeling of euphoria that mm -hmm. you constantly chase. You ever see that part of those addicts chasing that high? Yeah. That high is that dopamine surge that you would not believe. They want that feeling. They want that feeling. Okay. But then what happens with the human brain is this. Let's say I just bombard, like anything, if I bombard the brain oh, with sure. too much dopamine for sure. a while, those receptors in my brain become desensitized, which means now- I gotta take more of it to get exactly. it to work. Exactly. Yeah. And another thing, let's say I get sober. Yeah. Guess what happens when I get sober? My brain has forgot to make dopamine. Mm -hmm. So now I become depressed. So now I'm sober, but now I'm depressed, doc. What can you do for me? So it's like trading one for another. So what do you do in a case like that? Because if you uh -huh. start them down that, mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. road of giving mm -hmm. them dopamine again, yes. you could put them back on the back edge. There are certain things with medications. And let me give you an example. Let's talk about Wellbutrin. Not a classic antidepressant, but it's what we call an adjunctive agent. Usually you take Wellbutrin, you add it with the antidepressant. Mm -hmm. Wellbutrin has a strong dopaminergic property. So a lot of times in my actual patients that are actually former substance abusers who do run into depression, of course I would try to place them on antidepressant first. And they're not getting benefit because remember, the antidepressant in certain drug classes is, is kind of giving you a bump in your dopamine mm -hmm. levels. I will add something like a Wellbutrin, but also the way you kind of ups, offset that as well as with therapy and counseling, giving a, purpose, a person a sense of value in this world again. That okay. also helps with that process. But once again, you do not just restart that train and that epidemic with that. But once again, it's kind of like a catch-22 because even when you're doing your best efforts to actually help replenish that dopamine, because the brain at some point in time may learn again how to make the dopamine, mm -hmm. but sometimes it cannot. So it's kind of that delicate process where you're just walking through it trying to say, okay, does this person need just a medication or does this person need the therapy and counseling to help integrate them back in life as a functional human being? Do you think in 2017 that we are more open to the discussion of mental health or is there a mental health epidemic? I would tell you, I'm going to ask that question this way. And it's a little tricky. 
yes, we are more open to it because now we understand that this is a medical issue. Mm -hmm. Before, if you think about it, and let's use the African-American community. It was, a, it was seen as a, a, as a weakness. Exactly. It's seen as a weakness. Not only that, a religious thing. Oh, oh, oh. No. Well, you must, man, the, don't get the, me the, the Lord must be mad at you. And don't, people don't, still, don't, to, don't, they're don't. Clear. I'm, I'm not trying to get you mad, champ, but understand, <laughs> you would be amazed at, oh, well, you know, you just got to pray more. Yeah. Like, I believe in prayer every day. Absolutely. But that is not what's making this person depressed. Absolutely. So if you say, are we more open to a conversation? Yes, we yes. are. But in certain communities, yeah. there is a stigma. Yeah. African-American communities, yeah. unfortunately, it still yeah. has that stigma. Sure. A lot of years, uh, minorities, um, mm -hmm. I'm talking about Asians, mm -hmm. um, Indians, mm -hmm. um, Mexicans, mm -hmm. uh, Hispanics, pro, um, I should say. Mm -hmm. um, these are issues where, because I have patients in all demographics, and it's strange when I talk to them, because when you talk to them, you know these folks are suffering, but there's such a stigma where they don't even want to let their family know they're seeing a doctor. Don't want to let you, them know they're hurting. Exactly. You'd be amazed how many of my patients I see out in the community, and I've learned I never speak to you. Mm -hmm. If you're my patient and I see you, I let you open up the conversation, mm -hmm. because if you see this guy and he's like, hey, Dr. Warner, the first question is, well, how do you know him? Yeah. And a lot of people, I'm telling you, I remember to this day, about two or three years ago, we were in the grocery store, and this guy was looking at me. You know he wanted to speak. He was a patient of mm -hmm. mine, but I did not speak to him, and he said, hey, doc, and when I walked by, I said, how you doing? I heard his wife say, well, who is that? And I knew right then and there, he had never told his wife right. he was seeing a psychiatrist. Right. So imagine the strain on that guy trying to explain yeah. who I am. And that's why it's such a stigma. Because once you say psychiatrist, mm -hmm. first thing you think is that guy would put me on the couch. Mm -hmm. Wrong. Mm -hmm. You see crazy people. Wrong. Right. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to tell you the truth. One of my best buddies, internal medicine doc, he sees more people with mental illness than I do. Right. My patients are actually good patients, hardworking folks. As yeah. a matter of fact, if you walk into my office, you won't know if it's an insurance office, a dental right. office, That's or a medical right. clinic. Right. So these are not people walking off the wall looking like I have to walk on the other side of the street. Mm -hmm. But once again, that's the perception and the stigma. And the other question you had before I actually kind of delved off in that topic was, are we reaching epidemic proportions with the mental health issues? Yes, we are. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is is multitude. Families are being degraded, which are causing problems because you have young men growing up in homes without their fathers, mm -hmm. um, mothers not really being able to raise their children mm -hmm. because they're busy working. Mm -hmm. You also have the epidemic of social media, and yeah. here's why. Oh, man. When you talk about social media, you have cyberbullying, you have things going on that nature. Yeah. You have media that actually just, and think about it, if you're watching the news, there's no good news on them. No. On the, on, there's it no feed, good news it on. feeds the beast. It feeds the beast, exactly. That's why I don't watch the news. Yeah. The one thing I will maybe watch is BBC yeah. because they report just news. They yeah. don't sensationalize it. Right. So when you have all these different dynamics mm -hmm. and then I mean just think about what's going on in the world as yeah. well I mean with racial divide yeah. with economic yeah. divide yeah. which a lot of people don't understand it's not even so much a racial issue yeah. sometimes it's a class issue it's and a money class issue, issue right. and people get lost in that the black yeah. and white know it's the green and no green it's the green and no green you know di division has always existed exactly from the founding of this country this mm -hmm. country was formed because of, of a group of people dividing from somewhere else exactly however now the ability to divide has been monetized mm -hmm. and that's where it's more dangerous because politicians are more interested in the sport of division yes. to get power mm -hmm. and keep power than they are in fixing problems. And, and I will tell people this, don't challenge me on that because most of y'all who know me know I know what the hell I'm talking about along those lines. Right. I, can, I can prove it to you. Right. I just won't drop names about stuff of that course. I know has gone on. Right. And then you turn on the news and it just brings you down. It does. So kids are in the room mm -hmm. when the news is being watched. Right. They hear the discussion going mm -hmm. on. I think society in so many ways steals childhood from children. Big time. It takes it away and it makes them not so innocent. Yeah. I know even with my baby girl, there's times when I make sure that if I do watch the news, which mm -hmm. sometimes I do, I'm always there with her watching yeah. it, trying to explain it. Because yeah. there are certain things on the news where your child will look at you like, well, why did that happen? Right. Dad? You know, or, or why are they saying that? Yeah. I remember even when the Trayvon Martin thing was going yeah. on. I don't have any sons. I have I have three daughters yeah. who I love dearly. You know, but trying to explain to a young lady that this young man may have been shot mainly because of the color of his skin is a difficult thing to understand. I actually believe that. Right. And and again, I'm not one that, that people who know me to just throw that out there without... Negative, but, not at but, all. But I actually believe that. Right. I, I, I that, That's a whole other discussion. No, and, but, and it hurts your heart yeah. because you can't explain yeah. it because it makes no rational sense. Yeah. You know. Uh, so... Let's talk about the trail that leads people mm -hmm. to what we're talking about, the mm -hmm. environments 
to having the various forms of mental illness, whether gotcha. it's an anxiety or a depression mm-hmm. or, or something mm-hmm. else. There are traumatic experiences that happen in people's yes. life that mm-hmm. will precipitate them having an issue, post-traumatic stress based upon something. PTSD is not just for military vets. Thank you for saying that. Um, it's not. And, and it is it is one of those things you see now, and you referenced it earlier, that mm-hmm. there are things that have happened in people's life mm-hmm. that have brought them to this point. Right. But then there are the chemical issues. Exactly. So you've talked about the chemical issues. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about when someone comes in and you realize that your brain is actually functioning correctly, right. but that you have been traumatized by something mm-hmm. that maybe you have suppressed, right. or maybe you have just kind of, you know it's there, but you've not dealt with it, right. and it's led you to there. Does that, I don't know if that question even makes sense. It does make sense, and and but I'll tell you, it's multifaceted, okay. because when I realize that person does not have a chemical imbalance, yeah. and it's something more socially related. Yeah. It becomes almost like Pandora's box. And you remember the story about Pandora where sure. all the evils of the world yeah. was in this box. Yeah. As a psychiatrist, I have to be very careful. Mm-hmm. Let's say, for instance, someone comes in with depression, and I realize this is depression that's been caused by certain traumatic events in their mm-hmm. life. As a physician, I want to try to get an understanding of that, sure. but I have to be careful how deep I go into that because sometimes you don't want to open up a situation that you can't close because, once again, my patients can talk to me about anything, sure. and I'm trained in how to do therapy, sure. but since that's not what I do every day, that is something I have to be very careful on mm-hmm. how far into mm-hmm. this do I want to get. But to go to your question of how sometimes people get to that road, it varies in this fact, Clay. Some people, I do believe, are just more susceptible to stress from genetics. Yeah. But there's also some people that based on their upbringing, okay. let me give you an example. Take a young man who's raised in a home with mom and dad. Mm-hmm. Um, he or she, or he has seen mom and dad deal with certain stressors and how to properly kind of um, compartmentalize those and move forward and deal mm-hmm. with them in a healthy way without doing unhealthy things. As give, me, give me an example. Um, say for instance, you have a young man that says, actually, I grew up in a house with my mom and dad and I see my mom and dad go through financial problems. Mm-hmm. Well, what my mom and dad do with their financial problems is they sit down and they discuss, okay, here's what we need to do with tightening our budget. Mm-hmm. Here's what we need to do where we can maybe do more self-sacrificing from the kids where the father may say, well, hey, I'll do this extra shifts and use more time with the kids. Mm-hmm. Whereas someone who says, doc, I grew up in a single parent household where my mother was stressed there was no backup support she had Mm -hmm. I would see my mom not just deal with stress but my mom almost be to the point of breaking down Mm -hmm. dealing with this stress Mm -hmm. so right then and there you you actually mimic what you see so if you grew up in a house where your mom by herself or your dad by himself Mm -hmm. trying to raise you were actually prone to sadness and depression and didn't know how to deal with it Mm -hmm. you will sometimes do the same and then sometimes in these households you see parents turning to substance abuse I've had numerous patients of mine say doc I saw my mom use narcotics in front of me. I saw my mom use drugs because she couldn't deal with it. Those people I do believe are more sensitive to stress because they don't know how to properly categorize Mm -hmm. it. For instance, you and I, you and I could go through the same bad experience, Mm -hmm. but you and I may process it differently based on our life experiences. What traumatic things has Clay seen in the Mm -hmm. past? What traumatic things has Warner seen in the past? Mm -hmm. If I've not really been exposed to different type of stressors, my ability to deal with it is Mm -hmm. not as good or not up to par where you would want it to be. Uh, So I agree with you. Let's deal with something that is often said and it's one of these bromides or, or bumper sticker things that said <laughs> that I think is it can be true mm-hmm. and it also can be dangerous. Okay. And when I say it, you, you'll know what I mean. I believe. Mm-hmm. So let me put this on me to make certain that I'm not pointing it at anybody else. OK. I believe that going through challenges mm-hmm. make you stronger. Mm-hmm. Going through tough times Give get will give you an opportunity to learn something about yourself. Exactly. Um, to be tougher, mm-hmm. quote unquote. And and I so I think that sometimes struggle is necessary. And I know this is a bumper sticker thing, but failure, in my opinion, teaches more than victory. Right. Mm-hmm. Having said all of that, mm-hmm. there are some kinds of struggles. <laughs> We're not talking about struggling through a class, right. struggling to make ends meet while right. you're trying to do something else. Uh, you right. know, you've made some bad investments and you're struggling to get back on your feet or right. or you lost a parent at a young age, mm-hmm. something you could not control. And you have pushed yourself through right. school and into business. Mm-hmm. I That's what I mean. Right. Being abused. Right. Verbally or physically. 
being neglected, which is mm. akin to being abused. Yes. You know, uh, being in destructive emotional environments where people are constantly berating you and never compliment you. Right. Those are two different things. Totally separate. And 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 I want that's what I want to talk about. And you as an MD to talk about that. That mm-hmm. there's one thing that going through life's challenges to become mm-hmm. better and bigger mm-hmm. versus having things happen to you in your life that are not about just trying to be successful, but that you you were generally abused or in, mm-hmm. a, in a toxic situation. Right. And I will say to that, you know, when you mentioned the issue about struggle, I do believe, and I actually, it's funny you even mentioned that, just yesterday I was telling a patient, when we grow as people, it's through struggle. Oh, sure. Um, there's no doubt about it. Struggle brings upon change. No because if there was no rocking the boat, quote unquote, there would be no change into dividing who you are. Right. I mean, because I am what I am because yeah. of some of the struggles I went through. And you I hate going God through it. Oh, you hate going but through it, especially. But yeah. I know for me, when I look back, I wouldn't change okay. a single thing. Right. I use the example of medical school. Yeah. Medical school was a struggle. Yeah. It was painful. <laughs> but you know what yeah. it does? It makes me appreciate every day I'm a doctor. Sure. Because if medical school was easy, I wouldn't appreciate that That's much. Right. Just like if someone gave you money. Yeah. If you had to work oh, for your money yeah. versus it being given, yeah. oh, you appreciate that money when now, you sweat it for we, it. You know, we could sit and talk about <laughs> oh, that for a little while. Right. right. Because <laughs> it is it is a principle right. that you know you don't respect what's given to you. You don't? I mean and I would say I, I never do the all or none thing. Oh, no, no. Because that's a generalization right. that's and, not and fair. And I do that. Some people are right. smart enough exactly. to, if you give them I'm money, appreciate there's it. a core value in them that's exactly. going to make them. So, yeah, you can't generalize. Right. But in in theory, in theory rather, as right. a rule, yes. when you've earned something on your own, right. the level of appreciation it's is different. greater. Exactly. It's totally different. Yeah. And today I'm going to bring you back to the original thing you were talking about. Because, once again, I love great conversations. And yeah. I'm sorry for kind of veering off. No, you're good. But you asked the question about, you know being able to look at those differences and it does become very delicate clay and it becomes and at times I have to agree it becomes difficult because you're absolutely right there are some stressors and this is what each person is individually different Mm -hmm. there are some stressors that some people I've noticed have went through that I may look at and be like oh my god how did you come through that and they will tell you I wouldn't change this for the world I've had patients actually say, Doc, I was physically and sexually abused by my parents or my parent or a loved one. And not that I wish it happened, but through that, I came out stronger. Mm -hmm. Just like I've had some people that have truly said, Doc, I went through this. And I don't know if I can ever come out on the other side and be the same. Yeah. You know, just like I've seen people where they will go through life stresses and I'm looking at them like, well, you know, that's kind of. It's life, you know, you're having financial struggles. Mm-hmm. Of course, I'm not minimizing mm-hmm. it, but you know, all of us do. Yeah, you have marital problems. Yeah. Marriages work. I sure. mean, all of us do. So, you know, you look at it in several ways. But I'll tell you, and I'm not going to sit here and lie to you and try to make myself seem like a genius. There's times where truly, as a physician, you don't know because right. there's times where, and that's what I love about myself. And I'm give myself a pat on the back. I understand my weaknesses because there are truly sometimes situations that occur with my patients that I'm like, you know what? I'm going to be a helpful ear to listen Mm -hmm. and I will be a support, but I can't explain that or make sense of it to you. And I don't know what it is in some people that they go through a trauma and they're so much better for Mm -hmm. it. I know some research has shown us that some people with PTSD and not to get away from the social aspect, but some people with PTSD have certain chemicals in their brain that are not what we call, um, um, trying to think of the word um neuroplastic which means you know those synapses can go through trauma and stress and come back to what they used to be Mm -hmm. where they've actually shown studies once again unfortunately not always in the united states where folks who are susceptible to ptsd don't have that neuroplasticity Mm -hmm. where they're more subject to once they're under trauma they cannot come back from it there's even some research that they're trying to actually formulate a new drug that actually could desensitize um combat veterans to stressors yeah. now once again when i say desensitize not meaning them to make be robots sure but making them where when they do have stressful situations yeah. they're able to respond and conceptualize it and compartmentalize it better to where they're able to deal with it let's talk about that about the piece of equipment in your office that is so fascinating yes and tell me about it <laughs> tell me about it very good all right let me start with this okay i fell in love with this device recently um had studied it for five years before I purchased it because okay. it was a big investment and I wanted to make sure it would be worth my patient's time. Yeah. But one of the big things I've always had with patients is when I'm talking about medicine, Clay, you ever saw a deer in the headlight? Yeah. When you talk about medicine to most people, <laughs> that's what they look like. I don't know what the like, hell you're talking well, about. But not just that, but the fear of, oh my God, what side effects is it going to call? <laughs> my cousin told me that this was going to happen. And you look at them like, is your cousin a doctor? No, he, 
he works at the Dollar General. He's like, well, look here. Don't really take what he's saying with a grain of salt. So one of the big things I've had, and I'll be honest with you, being from New Orleans and Baton Rouge, yeah. there's concerns about side effects in New Orleans. But yeah. oh my God, in Baton Rouge, it's almost like it's yeah. a fear of medicine. Yeah. Yeah. So when you talk to people about medicine, they're genuinely sometimes afraid. Yeah. And what I've learned in my practice and research will show it, when a person takes a medicine, Clay, and they're skeptical about it from the first place, yeah. fearing all the side effects, mm-hmm. nine out of 10, that person would not do as well because they're almost looking for problems within the medication. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about this machine, it's known as a TMS machine uh, made by Neurostar. Okay. TMS stands for transcranial magnetic stimulation. The whole principle of, of TMS is it's a way to treat depression without using a pill. And here's how it does it. Neurons in the brain release serotonin, norepinephrine, um, and dopamine. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> With medicine, they release it chemically. But there's two ways in which we know that you can release these chemicals or neurotransmitters from neurons. That's electrically or chemically. My machine does it in a magnetic way, not using electricity, but using a magnetic pulse that almost has the same strength of an MRI machine. And what it does is there's a region of the brain that we think actually is the cause of a lot of depressive symptoms. That's over the left side of the brain in the frontal area and is known as the left... um, dorsal lateral prefrontal cortex Mm -hmm. and what happens is i place this device over that region and i find the the actual spot because there's it's it's actually complicated how you find this spot but once you find the exact spot on the human brain you actually send the magnetic pulses and what the magnetic pulses do the magnetic pulses actually stimulate the neurotransmitters to make the neurons without using medicine which is systemic now think about this for a second. That cuts down on side effects because no when I give you a pill, Clay, yeah. you swallow. Yeah. That can affect your whole body. No question. And let me break it down for you. You have different side effects that include GI upset. Mm-hmm. You have sexual dysfunction. Mm-hmm. You have weight gain. You have insomnia, mm-hmm. fatigue, all these different side effects that when a patient asks me about it, I have to be honest with them. And tell them. Yeah. Exactly, because mm-hmm. I'm not going to keep it from you. Right. Now, when you're talking about TMS, it doesn't do that. It specifically targets the brain. And motivates the and brain to do what it's supposed to do anyway. Exactly. And then that limits side effects because the only side effect that you can literally have from this device is sometimes there's a little pain and discomfort for maybe a day or so because Mm -hmm. it is a device that's that's eliciting this pulse. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, that's the only side effect you have. And and let's talk about numbers because I love numbers because I'm going to tell you the reason why I love numbers, but numbers don't (laughs) lie is one reason. (laughs) But think about this. Let's say I have 10 patients that get the TMS treatment done. Yeah. Research has shown us that five of those 10 will tell us, oh, my God, that's been remarkable. Two of the remaining five will tell you, oh, yes, I've seen a difference. So that's 70 percent of patients either seeing a remarkable or moderate improvement. Right. Whereas in depression, this is tripping. Let's say a person tries medicine for the first time. Mm -hmm. The success rate is and Clay, I'll throw it at you, brother. How high do you think the success rate with medicine is the first trial? 30 to 40%. Man, you're pretty good. It's it's 27.5 with the first trial. Wow. Now, let's go down. Let's say that medicine doesn't work. What's the percentage of that second medicine working? You know it goes down. Yeah. uh, Cut it in half. 21%. 21%. Okay. Now, let's say that doesn't work. Then you go to the third trial. Yeah. That goes down to 16%. Now, with the fourth trial of medicine, which a lot of people actually go to two or three trials, mm-hmm. it goes to 7%. Yeah. And the reason why I say a lot of people go through three or four trials is because usually when a person is starting on an antidepressant, yeah. and no offense to them, is usually started by a pri- primary caregiver yeah. who really is not expert at dealing with medicine. Yeah. So sometimes they'll give you medicine that is not appropriate. And I'll give you an example. Someone comes in with depression and anxiety, mm-hmm. and a doctor gives you Selexa. Selex is a pretty good antidepressant, but it really has very little efficacy for anxiety component. Right. But to a primary caregiver, Selex, Alexapro, Prozac is all the same. To me, I know the difference. They right. don't. Right. So sometimes you'll go through trial and error just because the doctor is not their field of expertise. And testing something to see a- what works. Exactly. It's almost like that trial and everything. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. I do that as well. Sure. But it's more thought process. But it's an applied It's an exactly. applied, it's an applied science to yeah. it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Now, let me trip your head out even a little further. Okay. Remember I told you about those low rates of success? Yeah. Now, with the first trial, there are side effects that could possibly happen. Now, I named some to you earlier. Mm-hmm. The risk of a side effect during the first trial is about 9%. So 27% success, mm-hmm. 9% of side effects. Mm-hmm. Now, remember the second trial, 21% of success, side effect potential now jumps up to 23%. So the chances of having a side effect from the second medication significantly goes up. No question. Now, 
Almost triples. Almost triples. Now, let's go to the third trial. Yeah. Remember, every subsequent trial, the chances of success lessen. Yeah. So the third trial, 35% chance of discontinuing the medicine because of side effects. And last but not least, during the fourth trial, 41% chance of discontinuing it because of side effects. And I really believe part of that is chemically because sometimes the brain could become desensitized to chemicals. Mm -hmm. But I also believe there's a big time somatic part to it. Mm -hmm. Because think about it. You come into my office with depression. I try my best to educate you, but you don't know a lot about depression. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. And let's say I'll try you on two medicines. Sometimes you become despondent, like, oh my God, nothing is going to work. Then you're almost starting to look for side effects. You're starting to look at all the negatives and not the positives. So I do believe there's an actual chemical component to this, but also a very somatic component. And like I say, I I love numbers. Mm -hmm. I just told you 70% of people report either significant or moderate response to TMS, Mm -hmm. whereas you're talking about 27, 28% reporting that with medication. Now, let me be clear on this. I'm not bashing medicine. I've been doing medicine for 15, 16 years. I believe in it strongly and not to pat myself on the back. I think I'm pretty good at medicating folks. But when I look at the chances of giving you greater success without the risk of side effects, that is powerful, particularly in my world. Because I already know if I don't get you better faster or if there's any unpleasantry with this medication, Mm -hmm. you are like, bye-bye, Dr. Warner. Nice to have known you. But the residual effects aren't there. Mm Mm-hmm. Based mm-hmm. upon this machine mm-hmm. versus taking some of these That's pills. Right. Yes, exactly. And not even the residual effect. I'll go even further. The relapse, because, you know, mm. people actually sometimes say, well, doc, I had a depression. I got better and it came out. What research has shown is the success rate of a person going into a second or third episode is not very high with TMS. But here's the good thing. Even with the machine I use, if you come back and get what's called booster treatments. That which actually, is what? Which is actually because the way the system works is you do it up to six weeks and you do it daily. It takes mm-hmm. about 19 minutes a day. Mm-hmm. Um, that's five days a week, mm-hmm. but it's for six, but it's for six weeks which is 30 treatments. Mm-hmm. What happens is you're actually, when you actually get it approved through your insurance or pay for it, you actually allocated 36 treatments. Wow. So we basically take six treatments and put them on the back burner. Mm-hmm. And throughout this process, I reassessed you. And let's say within a year, you're kind of saying, doc, you know, the symptoms are not back to where they were, but they're kind of back. Well, what I'll do is put you back in the chair. The first week we'll do three treatments, maybe mm-hmm. Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. The second week we'll do two treatments, whatever days you pick, Monday and Friday, let's say that. And then the third week we do just one being the Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Now that was the remaining six. And research has shown that in more than 70%, actually it's about 85% that get that second treatment, Mm -hmm. that their symptoms revolve, I mean, reside, I mean, um, go away altogether again. So this is, this is fascinating. So Mm -hmm. I haven't seen it yet, y'all, but I'm, I'm going to go, we're going to set an open invitation because I want to see what this looks like. What does the chair look like? I'll tell you something. It looks like a dental chair. It does. It really, because of the the headrest, because of the headrest and, and, and just the way it looks. I mean, if you go, Ladies and gentlemen, listen to this podcast. If you go to your dentist's office, it's just like the dental chair without the fear, because I promise <laughs> I'm not I'm not coming near your mouth with a tool. Um, oh, but man. yeah, because I Set get a mouth full right there. I just, I just the saw pun. the dentist yesterday, so we're not coming near you with that. But it almost like a dental chair. Yeah. But the thing that's great about this chair, unlike your dental chair, there's a device in it where you can actually move it to actually recline. Okay. You actually have lumbar support yeah. where it actually makes it comfortable for yeah. a patient. Because remember, these treatments are 19 minutes a day. Sure. I want you to be completely comfortable. Sure. Also in the room, I have television and music where mm-hmm. you can watch. Netflix, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you can listen to light music mm-hmm. um, to make it relax. I yeah. almost make it like a spot in the back because once yeah. again, when you're making that time commitment, I don't want to make it unpleasant. I want you to actually look forward to coming to get mm-hmm. your treatments. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not going to mention the patient's name um, directly, but just yesterday we had a patient that was, she's coming in today to get her last treatment. Um, there's a scale we use called the PHQ-9, which actually gauges your depression. Mm-hmm. The higher the number, the worse your depression. Sure. Day number one, we actually ranged her PHQ. Now, this has been a patient of mine for five, six years. Mm-hmm. You know, I love her to death. She loves me back. She's done remarkable with medicine based on what she's seen with other doctors in my clinic. Sure. But still has symptoms of residual depression. She came in showing a PHQ-9 of about 23, which shows moderate to severe depression. Mm-hmm. Each subsequent week, her numbers have went down. She went from a 23 to now a 3. Wow. So that means basically... No depression. Right. And I mean, literally, she comes in there smiling and giggling. Think about the liberation that gives exactly. someone. And the liberation that gives beautiful, me. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited because right. I have a vested interest right. in these people. When right. you don't do well, right. I'm serious. I, I, I may not be like most doctors. I take it personally. Yeah. 
yeah. because it's my job to get you better. Absolutely. And I have a device now where I'm not going to ever guarantee, oh, everybody gets in the chest going to improve. That's right. But when I could sit there and say, Clay, I'll give you a 70% chance of improvement versus a 28% chance, where would you put your money? Let me go yeah, to 70 numbers. Exactly, because numbers don't lie. And that is the kind of feeling I get, because I'll tell you the truth. The reason why I got this machine was it was for my patients, but mm-hmm. it really was for me. Right. Because there will be times patients will come in my office and look me dead in the eye and tell them, Dr. Warren, I'm afraid of medicine. I don't want medicine. And the answer I would have to give them, well, I'm sorry, I can't help you because medicine was the only tool I mm-hmm. had. This machine now, when someone says that, well, let's talk about TMS. Right. You know, let's see if you're a proper fit. So you give them the option. Fit. I give them the option. No, yeah. I never tell someone you yeah. need this. Yeah. What I would tell someone, if you come in, let's say, for instance, you've never been on medicine, mm-hmm. ever. Would I offer you TMS? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. I would say let's try the more conservative route. Let's try the medication because once again, the TMS service is a time commitment. Yeah. You know, let's say you try the first trial, doc. Yeah. Try another trial of medication. Uh, now around that second failure, I'm actually starting to think, well, may not be a bad idea because I know the numbers don't lie. Right. The chances of you getting better with each subsequent trial go down. Drop significantly. The side effect, and the uh, side yeah, effect yeah. possibility goes up. Yeah. So at that point in time, probably around the second or third failed trial, I'm like, hey, and when I say a failed trial, I'm not talking about doc, I'm not running around with pom poms. Right. I'm talking about doc, I still have a decrease in my functionality mm-hmm. with my family, my work and my loved ones. Mm-hmm. So that's a person that I start to talk to them about because there's actually been patients coming off as the very first time. I heard about your new machine from a friend. Can I get in it? And I'm like, well, before we Not get in the barber machine. Chair, yeah. like, and I love my barber chair. But I'm like, hey, I'll talk about the barber chair. Well, like, no, no, yeah, listen. I spent two listen, days a week at the barber. <laughs> but that's a whole different that's circumstance. That's a whole different circumstance, right. That's different head hey, work, Doc. Right, that's come in, you got the same head work, Clay. Right. <laughs> hey, Warner, mine started before I had to, start, <laughs> I had to go that hey. way on mine. But, okay, so, so, so you know, I want to I wanna see that thing and then right. I want to do a, a second discussion with you but right for people who want to know yes how to find you yes sir because people who that's a great thing about this people who are listening to this either individually or whatever okay they know in their own mind you know mm-hmm. maybe I need to go sit with him right or maybe I need to go see it and and I will say this there is nothing weak about asking for help oh that's strength yes <laughs> I think strength begins with understanding you are not the strongest person to have ever lived. And knowledge begins when you understand how little you know versus what you do know. Exactly. So if people want to find you, how can they find you? Okay. First of all, we're located at Kentshire. Our address is 10517 Kentshire, which is spelled K-E-N-T. S-H-I-R-E, Court, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. To give you an approximation in terms of direction, it's off Blue Bonnet. It's off of Blue Bonnet, exactly. Thanks, Clay. Also, the phone number you can reach us at is 225-456-2884. Also, if you want to go online and check out our website, which is being updated, and a new website should come out August the 1st, mm-hmm. but you can still look at the old one, it's www.collaborativemindsbr, and that's spelled C-O-L-L-A-B-O-R-O. A-T-I-V-E Minds M-I-N-D-S B-R dot com and when you go online you can actually see a picture of myself and my nurse practitioner and I want to give her a little shout out <laughs> she recently just became a doctor and received her doctorate and now is Dr. Chantel Burns congratulations yes. yeah you will see pictures of both of us yeah. also you can actually download a form online and you fill out that form you send it into my office and then someone from my staff will contact you within 24 to 48 hours man this has been delightful we've been sitting here talking for almost an hour and I think we could probably we'll do come, another hey, hour we really could I'm, I, I, I love talking about this clay because i tell you um i am passionate about mental health i know sometimes um you know when you do a job it looks like a job Mm -hmm. this is my career and my passion because i understand mental health is so significant and i understand the impact it has on not only the patient but their family because i've literally seen where families have said thank you dr warner Mm -hmm. for giving me back my husband or my wife and that is something that i care greatly about i would like to in the in the near future have a discussion with you about stereotypes mm-hmm. and mental health but right. but because we we've talked about it a lot in this right. but but specifically dealing with it mm-hmm. you referenced something that i agree with wholeheartedly mm-hmm. how people sometimes have pseudo religious mm-hmm. uh 
practices or whatever right. uh, cures mm-hmm. for for issues. And maybe it isn't a case of a faith challenge. Maybe right. somebody's got something going on, you know, mentally because of a uh, chemical imbalance, and exactly. it's not getting worse because you you were waiting on God to heal something that. <laughs> medicine or this 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 chair can help you mm-hmm. with and and I mean again I don't want to because it takes so long to get into I don't want to hey. try to do it here but I think you know where I'm coming from that and that's just one example I know exactly where you're coming from and I'm going to end with this uh, my grandmother God bless her so one of the smartest women I've ever known my grandmother used to always say baby prayer without works is nothing because at the end of the day you could pray all day but the good Lord is not going to answer those prayers if you're doing nothing to help yourself and by actually coming to seek help that's helping yourself and trust me God didn't just abandon you because you're coming to seek help that's just actually making it better for you no question and it's so powerful that you say that because I unfortunately deal with that so often yeah. where people will think it's something I've done wrong God yeah. punishing me yeah. me me being flawed yeah. like you're not flawed just like a person could develop cancer pneumonia whatever you can develop mental illness it is a medical condition right. not a sign of weakness or failure Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Larry Warner. Thanks, Doc. Hey, thank you, Clay, for inviting me. This is Dr. Mary Catherine Rodrigue, and I'm Katie Fetzer. We're the owners and co-founders of The Wellness Studio, a mental health practice with locations here in Baton Rouge and Covington. We are also your hosts for The Waiting Room Podcast here on podcast225.com. Our podcast is a journey into the world of mental health. On our show, we're going to discuss some of the various forms of mental health conditions. We're also going to shed light on the various ways our listeners can get a better understanding of how the mind works and why we do what we do. So subscribe today to get The Waiting Room Podcast podcast here on podcast225.com, iTunes, and the Talk 107.3 mobile app. Podcasts have become a great way to get radio on demand. If you've wanted your own podcast, the time to call us is now. This year, Podcast 225 will be launching new shows and yours can be one of them. You won't have to build your own website and you'll be able to use professional broadcast equipment that will make your show sound amazing. If you'd like to know more, call 225-214-1550. That's 225-214-1550. Be a part of the on-demand audio movement today. This is The Clay Young Show on podcast225.com. Man, it feels like we have known each other 30 years. Great conversation. I really, really enjoyed that, and we'll get him back sometime soon. All right, don't forget, tell your friends about the show. Next week's show is a special one with retired police detective Tom Lang of the LAPD. He will be here to talk about his book, Evidence Dismissed, and the O.J. Simpson murder trial and some of the subsequent O.J. news that has really popped up recently. It's kind of never gone away. He has been a media rainmaker for maybe 50 years. It is fascinating when you think about it, and maybe that in itself is a show, but we will talk with Detective Lang next week. I am looking forward to that one. Can't wait for it. And he will be joining us by way of a telephone here in the podcast 225 Studios. All right, spread the word about the show. Thank you for listening, and I will catch you next week with Detective Tom Lang on episode 132 of The Clay Young Show. Thanks for listening. Join us next week for another edition of The Clay Young Show.